Hello, dear listeners. This is a small interruption on your way to enjoy the podcast with an announcement that should help you to enjoy it even more. We're launching an experiment on Discord to have a call-in style follow-up to the episode. Um, you'll be able to hop into the call as well as text questions and responses. Our guest has kindly agreed to be part of the experiment. Um, we'll add details to the show notes and follow mine, VJ's, or the at Defen Podcast Twitter account for more details. Okay, let the fun begin. Uh, which is to say, hello and welcome to Defen. Uh, but who constructed? This? Sorry, let's because I just pressed record, <laughs> so I think we need to we need to step back a little or you know rewind a little bit. So, what is the language name again? So uh, I speak two languages, English, obviously, because that's what we're talking in, and Lojban, which is a constructed language based around predicate logic. Um, Ooh, and yeah, it, the existence of the language, like who created it, is a little bit fuzzy because the original version uh, is called Loglan, and Lojban exists as a result of a split because of copyright. Um, oh where the original creator of Loglan <laughs> so, so somebody tried to copyright he tried to copyright the language and it didn't go over well for him but by the time all the court proceedings were over there was already this fork oh um, wow <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I mean, language forks are not unheard of but that's <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah so um the author of Loglan i believe mm -hmm. was John Cohen um, mm -hmm. And the idea was to test the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which is the theory or hypothesis that the language that you speak affects what kinds of thoughts you're able to have. Yes. And so yeah. the idea was, if we have a more logical language, do mm -hmm. people peak, uh, Do people speak um, more logically? Like, do they do they think more logically as a result of the language having those primitives built in? Uh, uh, and it was a resounding failure of an experiment, not because we weren't able to actually like test anything, but because we didn't have enough people to have a reasonable like. Um, so no, like, so you, you mean none of the logical people <laughs> learned this language? <laughs> oh yeah, there's a ton of there's a ton of people who are interested academically in the language and never learned it, including an entire committee around trying to change the language. Almost <laughs> none of them can like speak C plus plus committee. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's like C plus plus community. They they all write the standard, but they don't use it for their work. Um, mm. <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's a community of people who do actually speak the language. Um, mm -hmm. Like I have a number of friends that I don't share a language with yeah. them besides Lojman, and we're able to communicate just fine. So wow. it's able to work. It just <laughs> needed a few tweaks for usability past what was originally in there um, okay. in order to... But is to it also it. like a written language, like uh, there is yeah. a structured grammar and everything? and uh, Absolutely. Okay. The entire thing, with the exception of a couple minor pieces that are used for um, like conversation flow, can be parsed with a peg grammar. So, mm -hmm. um, And it is entirely syntactically unambiguous, okay. um, which means... Sentences like, I saw a man on a mountain with a telescope. Yeah. It's ambiguous if the man had a telescope or if I used a telescope to see him. Yeah. 
you cannot construct a sentence like that in Lojban. It okay. cannot exist and be grammatical um, mm. because it is a result of uh, something called polysemy, which is a single word having multiple meanings. Mm-hmm. And that creates an ambiguous grammatical structure and an ambiguous semantic structure. And it just can't exist. Okay. Um, so there are no everything... synonyms in the language then? Oh, there's plenty of synonyms, but there are no homonyms. Uh, right. Homophones. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. And um, is there a standard library? <laughs> uh, yes. And a surprising amount of stuff that deals with quantum physics. Um, there is a sigh lojpan yep (laughs) um but yeah so that that's pretty cool i mean is it something that you can you can learn online or is it uh, i'm I'm assuming there'll be a lot of online resources for this one right Mm. yeah it's a lot of online resources there's a website lojpan.io or lojpan.io no dot io means it's pretty recent (laughs) It's it's pretty recent and it's quite good. Um, it's okay. got like interactive grammar exercises, translation exercises. It's like mm. Duolingo but tiny. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe so the obvious question, cool. though, Joshua, is you know, like, how did you get into this language? What what made you kind of what motivated you to uh, to learn it? Because it's I've never heard of it, and it's you know, it's quite an unusual yeah thing. Why Even do you have so much free time? Geeks, that know. is the question, I guess. Um. Well, I, why do I have so much free time? That's that's <laughs> no, that's assuming that you that's, you have too much free time to use the language <laughs> to learn the language. Um, <laughs> I you made time for it. I I think it's I had about three months uh, between the graduating college and getting my my job that I was just at home with my parents to because they wanted me back for a while. Yeah. Um, and I picked up the language then because I heard some music in it and it mm-hmm. sounded really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then I read up on kind of the the promises that the language makes the, about syntactic and ambiguity. And uh, one of the other ones is audiovisual isomorphism, which is to say it is identical written and spoken. Yeah. So a right. lot of people will look at it and like be confused by punctuation in it because you'll see periods in weird places um, or, and like no quotation marks or anything else like that. But that's because it's entirely through words, like in order to, it, it would be like speaking quotation marks and periods and other, other punctuation marks. And they're okay. a part of the spoken language. So there's like these other pieces and it has also one of the best, um, methods for expressing emotion out of mm-hmm. any language that I've, I've seen because before Lojban, uh, I studied like five languages, four languages, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. never actually was able to speak any of them, despite studying mm-hmm. each of them for multiple years. Um, yeah. And it took me until I was learning Lojban to realize I was a language nerd, but okay. You definitely got confirmation bias on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you don't have homonyms, then there is a certain there is a big class of jokes not possible. There is a certain type of humor is not possible anymore in that language, right? Certain types of puns So you can't make puns and true. you can't make, uh, you know, oh, oh, we do double make meaning puns jokes. All the time. Uh, actually, yeah, <laughs> there, there's all kinds of jokes that do get made that are wordplay, including those sorts of things, but oh. they're different from the ones in English. 
Yeah, yeah. So because um, they, you, you can't use the same word to mean two different things because that is yeah. basically the butt of the joke in sometimes. And or oh. or well, like, he said there are synonyms. Yeah, there, synonyms, there are but synonyms. But if you use the different, if you if you use a word in one context and like there is this um, uh, Zafrank video, you know, on uh, YouTube, the guy makes super awesome comedy, not comedy, but natural history mm-hmm. things, and and he always says, um, you know, um, but John, and then oh, but you know. Like, he uses but to sound like but b u t t but not but so that, that that kind of things will not possible right yeah. using the same word to make uh, weird jokes hmm. or or like the 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 classic dad joke i'm hungry hi hungry i'm dad isn't yeah, exactly. possible like there's <laughs> there's a lot of jokes like that that aren't possible in lojman and that's well, that's true if dad jokes are not possible that are, that's a good you're thing you're not losing much <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're stopping the shit getting into it so that's pretty good yeah. <laughs> uh, is there a Reddit like a compiler that's automatically telling you that you know bad humor is banned from this language <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, uh, not yet but there might be people have been working on ways to translate it to word to vec and other stuff like that in order to try and get it in other translation engines um mm. and other other similar work uh there's like four different programming languages that have been started and been at least specified uh, yeah. i don't think any of them have like a complete runtime yet um that are <laughs> written in the language um i've started one of them it's a prologue like <laughs> language um, nice this is amazing this is absolutely amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think this is the first lojban edi- edition I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly anymore. Uh, Lojban? Yeah, you're pronouncing it much how, how better you, than, than how do you spell Lojban. it? L O J B A N. Ah, uh, okay. That's why you is can say my name. Sorry. Sorry was Loj, that? Is it B or P? Uh, B. Okay. Lojban. Yes. Okay. Lojban. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like autobahn in Germany, like a highway road or something. <laughs> nice. But what is the where did the word come from that has meaning uh, in the same language? Is it like a recursive thing? So the vocabulary in the language is mm-hmm. entirely, or the core vocabulary, like root words, are yeah. are generated by averaging the transcribed by English people sounds of <laughs> the six most common at the time of creation spoken languages around the world. That included. Um, English, Mandarin, Arabic, um, I believe Hindi Spanish. and Spanish, Spanish and, Hindi maybe? Yeah. and one other one, okay. Russian, I think, I think Russian. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so there was six languages transcribed by people who speak mostly English. So okay. not perfect, but, um, I mean, and you then, said mostly, and mostly spoken, then I assumed like top five is going to be some five Indian languages, given that we are like one billion, <laughs> more than a billion people. And it's just Chinese yeah. and you know, different types of Chinese languages. Mm. Yeah, it's it was certainly not the most accurate in terms of actually <laughs> weighting by population. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't give it credit for that, but yeah. it tried. Um, okay. <laughs> but, so... Nice. Lojban, as mm-hmm. a word, is a compound word from logji, which means logic, and mm-hmm. bangu, which is for language. Ah, 
Okay. So Lojban is just a compound word of those two. Wow. This is the first time ever I think we are having a guest who is speaking a decent language, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the obvious uh, question is, is there an Emacs mode for it? You know, because... Uh, yes, yes the actually, there is. Oh, my God. Uh, there well. are two Emacs modes for it. One of them is a dictionary search. The other one is syntax highlighting for particles and uh, verbs. Well, that, that means it's a legit, legit language. You know, there is no question around it then. <laughs> If you have said no, then oh, this is bullshit. I mean, this this is this is not real. This this is not, this is not real, and this is useless. And then immediately you said Emacs. Okay, this is real, and it is very useful. And <laughs> Everybody I should be learn speak, it. I expect you to be speaking it in the next episode. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Next episode I can... will completely in Lojban. That means we, our our audience is going to go from two to one. It's just going to be Joshua. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can speak a sample if you want, but uh, it's always hard coming up with something to say on the spot. <laughs> yeah. But well, you could we can... say, you know, mm. something along the lines of, you know, uh, I like closure because, you know, and mm. you could uh, you could just uh, give the first top reason for that in uh, Lojban. Um, I'll translate that one. I like closure because it has an Emacs mode. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) The actual translation is more or less, I like uh, closure because it allows me to express solutions to problems in using simple stuff. So. Wow, that that took a pretty long time to say that. <laughs> uh, Maybe it's, it's because it's very specific. It's less dense than English. It's about okay. the same level of density as uh, Japanese. Excuse mm. me, sitting on my shoulder. <laughs> yes, for the people who are who are listening but not able to see, there is a beautiful cat on the shoulder speaking in Lojban <laughs> yeah. to Joshua in his ear. <laughs> he's like what's, on a little route around your room isn't he he's going down then he's going around then he's going back up your shoulder he's going down again it's, like, it's quite fun to watch you know? <laughs> yeah she likes sitting on the back of my chair and then just headbutting me I don't know why but that's that's what she likes doing nice but I think speaking of the specificity of the languages I, I remember reading maybe I mentioned this on the podcast some time ago I'm not sure because in English there is also this um uh as you said like you know how language affects our thinking like in mm-hmm. english you have this um ease uh, p forms like ease was and all this shit and and then yep. they say that you uh conflate two different things like uh, asserting facts versus expressing something so we we just keep using Absolutely. the b forms to get away with shit without actually mentioning what you're supposed to say uh yep. like you know sun is Sun rises and sun is rising is is a fact, versus mm-hmm. you know oh it's hot you know like so instead of saying I feel it is hot or something, so there yeah. is a um, E prime mode obviously in Emacs to to use and there is language called E prime, which disallows or which doesn't allow to use any of the B forms anymore. So mm. essentially, you cannot say to be or not to be in E prime anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So there is this, um, there is, I think there is a guy who actually wrote a novel and um, like so books. English without the copula. Without yeah. Okay. So w- without the, without the um, B forms at all, like is, was, or are, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you cannot say that. So 
I cannot yeah, just like, say, you know, you know, the water I'm the water is good. I cannot say that anymore. I can only say I think um I feel no, I I, I don't even fucking I enjoy drinking the water, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I enjoy. Yeah. There, there must always be like a some subject and uh mm-hmm. object and then there is something linking that one. There is a correlation must be there. Otherwise sure. because it might be good for me, it might not be universally good. So you mm-hmm. cannot conflict universal truth with this one. So, oh, I enjoy yeah. drinking this glass of water. Mm. Right, specifically. Exactly. Yeah, at this moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, t- time and space. It's fucking exhausting to read that shit, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's like, oh my god, please, you know, I get it. Yeah, can we just shorten it now? <laughs> but I, I, I think it really forces you to learn more verbs in the language. Because otherwise, you you keep just putting e's everywhere. You know, you don't need to think about uh, mm-hmm. what what you're gonna say actually, <laughs> so, which is uh, pretty interesting. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, so um, I think it's a good time after 15 minutes to welcome you to the podcast. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Welcome yeah. to Defen uh, episode number. I think this is 81. Most probably our last episode for this year. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. So I, I tried to mute the sound there, but it Ms. White Roll actually fixed that one in post. <laughs> right in the middle of your introduction. Let's try that one again. Okay. I'm gonna say this again. Okay, this time don't sneeze. <laughs> don't cough. <laughs> Come to Devon episode. Okay, fuck number. it. Leave it in. Come on. Let's uh... We've fucked up so many times on the show. Come on, what well, more time is it gonna hurt? Fair enough. I think I think after after seven years, people are like, well, this is what we expect from the shit show anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you on know. that happy note, uh, welcome to the Defen podcast, the <laughs> Defen podcast, <laughs> Joshua. So, um, I think it's a, it's a good time to you know give us a bit of introduction about um, yourself in English. Um, for, for, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like hordes and hordes of people speaking Lajban listening to the po- podcast but I'm missing at least there are two more people who can only speak English than, than those people and, and also I you know right. tell, tell us about, your, about your, your programming journey as well like how did you end up in Clojure yeah so it's it's I don't know if I would say particularly interesting, but it's been a bit of a long journey. Um, I started programming when I was nine years old after my brother discarded a book on uh, game programming because he found it too difficult. And after going through it for like three months and I picked it up and went through it for a weekend and came back home the next day from the library with a stack of like 12 ridiculous computer science tomes that I had absolutely no business trying to, to read. Um, and my dad took me aside and was like, oh, here, we'll, we'll get you something better to start with. And he got mm. me a, uh, a Java book for like Java 1.4 or something, mm. even though I think like Java 7 was out by then. Mm. Um, when which, you were nine, holy shit, you're a young guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm uh, 23 now. Yeah, 23. Uh, oh man. Okay. Good. Yeah. So okay. I spent that makes sense. Um, yeah, I spent like 
eight years or something just working with Java and doing just like simple GUI applications and other things like that, getting getting comfortable with that language. I did like some machine learning with it. I did um, oh, nice. like Did you do the mining Minecraft plugins or anything like that? Uh, I did actually for a little while and mm. uh, published a couple of them. I don't, none of them got famous or anything, but I did, I did make a couple. Um, I, I did like some financial automation software for myself, um, like those kinds of things. And then I got to uh, the AP computer science. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I was homeschooled, so I didn't, like have this through a school, but I had an educator who was available to me and he used Clojure, um, not Ooh. for the AP computer science uh, class, but on his own time. And he showed me a circuit simulator that he made using Seesaw. Um, hmm. And at the time, it just seemed like a weird language um, that I'm not sure, I wasn't sure why you would pick it over, over Java. Yeah. Um, but it kind of stuck in the back of my head, the things that he was telling me about functional programming and the style that could help make programs more effectively. Um, mm -hmm. And then between then and college, I started branching out and trying a whole bunch of other different programming languages. By the time I graduated college, I think I'd used about 30. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I went to college for game development. So like programming game engines. Yeah. Um, right. Like Unity or Unreal are game engines. They have hundreds of developers mm. and, and millions of man hours into them, but it's the same thing. Um, and that's what I went to, to school for. And in like some of the first courses of programming that I was basically dramatically overqualified to actually be taking the class. So I just had a lot of free time beyond the, the assignments. I started to build a game engine and mm -hmm. in a very, very object-oriented style. Um, and by the end of like the first month that I had, I had like a menu system and a way to to swap out between like different states, like if you're in a menu versus in game loading systems and stuff oh, like wow. that. But it was a complete rat's nest because mm. of the fact that it was object-oriented. And mm. <laughs> That might sound a little bit odd to people who still like object-oriented programming, although I don't imagine that there's many of them listening to this podcast. I don't think um, so. And Leave the podcast. We yeah. are now. Like <laughs> yeah, so... You're um, not welcome here. <laughs> but that kind of got me to think about what uh, my APCS teacher had been telling me, and it got me to try Clojure again. And so hmm. I started learning closure with closure from the raven true and yeah. for the next like two months i did all of my assignments in c like we were instructed to mm -hmm. but i also did them separately in closure um and even submitted a couple of them to my teacher and they thought it was pretty cool that i was able to get them working as well mm. and that that really made everything kind of click for me and so by the end of the degree program I had ditched C++ and was writing everything in C um, mm -hmm. because I wanted to avoid object-oriented programming that much. And I made a game engine that was fairly capable um, with like a Lewis scripting engine and some other stuff um, oh. that was entirely without 
object-oriented programming, and that really got the ball rolling for me. And after college, I started diving into Clojure more and more and more. Um, and at this point, I've released three, I would consider relatively major um, libraries for the Clojure community. Some of them see more usage than others. Um, and those are uh, Disclyord, which is a library for uh, connecting to the Discord chat platform and mm -hmm. providing bot applications for that platform using Clojure. Mm -hmm. And all that's like core.async. There's ridiculous machinery behind the scenes in order to transparently handle sharding, um, mm -hmm. some stuff to allow you to orchestrate uh, splitting something across multiple uh, multiple boxes mm -hmm. and coordinating between them. Um, and the rate limiting stuff that Discord does is wow. utter nonsense. And as a result, I finally got a, a really good use case for agents in Clojure. Mm -hmm. um, the second no, one that I made... That's not something yeah. people still use that much, right? Agents are like the, the, hmm. one of the... Yeah. So I have found that, yeah, atoms are the thing that everybody uses like all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's fair. They're useful most of the time. Most of the time they work pretty well. I have, at this point, in the last five years that I've been using Clojure as kind of like a primary language, mm -hmm. um, found good usage for every single one of the Clojure core primitives. For, mm. for uh, everything from delay to agents, refs, all of those, I've found good usage for them. Yeah. But it is dominated by atoms. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think if, if you see the original STM stuff when when it was announced, like you know, agents and refs and uh, wars people thought and, refs and, were going to be really yeah, really exactly that thing. <laughs> I think uh, um, everything converged to atoms. So then, then I think the rest yeah. of the stuff is now handled by other frameworks mostly. So you don't. But interesting point about that is that nowadays people are moving to volatile. No. Yeah, I, I use Volatile a ton, but only in things that I actually know the thread-constrained environment. I don't like yeah. sharing them across threads, even though you technically can. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So for refs in particular, I found actually like only two instances that it ended up being useful, and it's because one of them was connected to um, working with um, development time tooling where mm -hmm. one of the references did not need to be changed almost ever, but the other one needed to be changed at runtime fairly frequently. So it didn't make sense to put it all in an atom because then I could cause contention at development time if I was debugging an environment, mm -hmm. when instead I could just have them be refs and it would yeah. end up working out better. So um, this is all the, the Discord uh, library. Yeah, wow. uh, that in, the refs actually is used professionally. I work at Iris TV, which is a... Yep mostly closure shop uh and we do mm -hmm. stuff in the ad tech industry for for video context mm -hmm. um and that's where i've used refs um the other place i've used refs is in farolero which i'll probably get to a little bit later yeah. Uh, but yeah for for discord um agents and uh query sync all mm. over the place they're the main concurrency primitives that i'm using okay and what are the other other libraries? Because we mentioned around four of them right now already. Or? Uh, yes, I guess yeah, three or four of them. I mm -hmm. uh, one of them is a build library that I almost kind of don't count. Mm -hmm. Um, so, 
there's Dulcinea, there's Farolero, which is mm-hmm. a mostly faithful port of common list conditions and restarts to closure. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. And I did this because every single condition system library that I've seen in closure is terrible um, mm-hmm. in, in one way or another. I don't, I don't yeah. really mean that as a, a diss at the people who made them. Um, yeah. But it's just that all of them solved a subset of the problem that conditions and restarts was designed to solve. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it's, it's none of them to, are really you know, compatible with each other. Yeah, it's it's better to explain what is the awesome yeah. stuff about conditions and restarts. Right? Because in, in closure yeah. world, in Java world, we are we're used to these exceptions so much. I yeah. think in common lisp there is like a very elegant solution there, right? So maybe yes. it's, it's better to explain that so, one so people you know, yeah, for, for people who don't don't know, um, conditions and restarts is a system to decouple unwinding from error handling and mm-hmm. error recovery. So there's yeah. three stages when you're dealing with conditions and restarts, as opposed to in exceptions, it's basically um, error detection and error recovery. Error detection happens when the error happens, you throw an exception error recovery happens somewhere up on the call stack. Yeah. Um, but you lose all of the stack contacts, your local variables, et cetera, as you throw up mm-hmm. the call yeah. stack, you lose all that yeah. context. The way conditions and restarts happen is you have your error detection. When you detect an error, you signal a condition, which basically asks further up the call stack to say, hey, does anybody have something that handles a number format error? Mm. Like if anybody handles a number format error, then here's the error. And you call it as a function, and it winds the call stack first. It doesn't unwind. Mm -hmm. And inside of the handler function, which is what was just called, it determines what should be done about the number format error. And it does this by um, either unwinding or by saying, I'm going to use one of X, Y, or Z pre-made ways that we could recover from this. And what mm-hmm. defines what X, Y, and Z are available at the time is the f- the code that signals the error. So mm-hmm. whenever I'm going to like write some code that might fail, there will be a signal somewhere in it, but I'll wrap it in a block that specifies, here are three ways that I can recover if an error occurs. Mm-hmm. But the code right there never actually calls any of them. It's, it's only called if something up on the call stack decides that we want to recover. And so mm-hmm. the way that this works effectively is that you have code at the low level that detects an error and knows how to recover, but it doesn't know which strategy will be useful at any given time. So you might have Mm -hmm. like a log analyzer that will see log messages that have an invalid format. And it'll say, hey, I found an invalid format message. You can either ignore it and not put it in your aggregate. You can put some specific value in here Um, or you can try parsing again with a different format. Um, but it doesn't know which one of those is going to do. Instead, it just signals this error. And then up on the call stack, you might say, oh, well, I'm in a thing that's just scanning for errors. And if anything doesn't match this regex, I don't care about it. So I'm just going to throw it out. But at other times you might want to be able to actually track those. Um, so it just allows you to express an idea of separating recovery from decision making. Hmm. But how so, does this, uh, so your, your library, so mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you can explain how, how that works and how it, um, 
how it interacts with existing flows yeah. of exceptions. So uh, the the way that it works internally um, is that it uses dynamic variables to bind the handler functions and the restart functions. Mm -hmm. uh, the restarts are the recovery methods, yeah, and yeah. handlers are called when you when you signal an error. Those are bound mm -hmm. using dynamic variables. And then in order to unwind whenever it needs to get to the restarts, or if you just decide to unwind as a part of your handler, mm -hmm. uh, it throws something that extends from java.lang.error, which doesn't extend from exception. The entire mm -hmm. purpose of that class in the JVM is that it's not caught by same code. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's an unfortunate amount of code that catches from throwable, but I found that the majority of that seems to be in framework type uh, libraries yeah. that will call your code. And then that throwable catcher is basically just making sure that there's some kind of harness so that it doesn't kill its thread that's like starting jobs or whatever. Mm. Um, so it usually doesn't end up being a problem. Yeah. Um, the only actual problem that I've seen with that interaction is that the great library flow fm noise flow mm -hmm. um which is for handling um errors as values which is really good for data pipelining um that catches throwable as well so i ferrolero has an extension inside of it that will detect if you have flow on your class path and if it mm -hmm. does it'll load an extension to say don't catch the 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 unwinding mechanism from ferrolero um okay. But the idea, more or less, is that it gives you facilities, especially for I.O., in terms of, um, like, it, it allows you to write I.O. code that is more general because you don't have to bake your error handling strategy into your I.O. code. Yeah. So if you want to mm. do, like, retries or something like that, you can express mm. that without needing to tie how you decide whether or not to retry to making the request. But how did you, how did you end up knowing about well knowing is a bit uh, uh you know <laughs> condescending i guess um <laughs> because you you started with the uh, cc++ and then you went into java already and then because usually yeah. not many people i speak with at least unless they have written some common lisp you know they don't know about uh, you know condition systems or you know restart things so how did, yeah. how did you end up knowing this and then did you write common lisp did you learn it or so I learned about conditions and restarts from Special, which is one of the closure libraries oh, that, yeah. Yeah. Right. that yeah. implements conditions. It doesn't implement mm. restarts. And that's mm. why I was saying that not all the libraries are, are okay. super good for trying to, to implement the whole idea. It's not that they're bad libraries. It's just that mm. they don't implement the, the entire complete, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or mm. they have problems with threads, which that's one of the biggest things with Farolero that I was making sure doesn't break is mm. you can use it transparently with reducers and all kinds of other thread mechanisms, even core async. Um, as long as mm. you're careful to not unwind past a parking take, um, it works fine with core async um, and all the other libraries like that. And the biggest thing with it is that it also has the debugger, um, mm. which is the biggest thing that I think is missing from that's the biggest individual thing that is missing from all of the other libraries is when a condition is signaled, that's an error rather than like a warning or something. 
If there isn't something that handles that type of condition on the stack, um, it will act ask interactively from the developer to uh, determine how to handle the situation, which gives you an opportunity to inspect your program as it's running, and it actually gives you a REPL that you can use from the context of where the error occurred to evaluate mm-hmm. whatever forms you want um, before specifying which restart to use to continue the application. Okay. Um, and then the way that this all connects to the larger closure ecosystem, because exceptions are a thing that is yeah, used yeah. in the closure ecosystem, yeah. is that the default debugger, instead of dropping in and asking the user for uh, input, um, you can turn that on intentionally, but if you don't turn that on, um, any kind of error that is signaled that doesn't have a handler will be wrapped in an EX info and thrown. So mm. you, as a sense. library mm. developer, you're able to write code that uses Farolero and not expose that to your users if you don't want to. You just expose exceptions. Uh, or you so, can expose so they it. don't even need to know that it's yeah it is internally using this uh, restart or condition mechanism. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Mm. And there's also a macro that I added, uh, wrap exceptions, which just mm-hmm. wraps a form. And if an exception gets thrown, it gets caught and then wrapped in a condition and signaled, which allows mm. you to bind whatever kind of restarts you want and then potentially just throw it again if you want to um, without losing any kind of context. Okay. But how did you... Okay, I, I know I know that you we were looking at special, but um, is it because mm-hmm. of uh, some production code? Is it because of some pain that you have seen in the production code using these? Or I, uh, I, I am a conference talk junkie, um, <laughs> so yeah. uh, a lot of times when I'm working, I'll like have conference talks in the background, and I'm pretty sure that there was a conference talk. Uh, or I know for a fact that there was a conference talk that talks about the general mechanism um, yeah, there was. that's yeah. used. And they do it almost entirely with um, just dynamic variables and hmm. no no library. It was a library-less approach. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting the name of the speaker. Um, was, it, was it Chaz Emmerich? I, I just have a feeling. Or well, maybe it was Chauser. It was Chris Hauser, actually, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that clued me in onto yeah, the I'm a junkie name. as well, by the way. Yeah, so, you know, that's, no shame. that's fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, that clued me in on, on like the name conditions and restarts so that I can search for mm. it. And that's how I yeah. found special. And since then, I have programmed a little bit in Common Lisp. I mm. don't like it as much as I like Clojure uh, by a long shot. Um, <laughs> but it is a good language. Mm. Um, and there are still some things to be learned, even though most of it definitely feels like it hasn't been updated since 2002. Um, <laughs> like the fact that there's still no like standardized mechanism for threads. There's some libraries that allow you to like write portable threaded code, but yeah. it's not a piece of the language really. Um, mm-hmm. um, nice. But I programmed in some it's in it some, and that's what clued me in that special wasn't quite getting all the way to the dream. Um, so special wasn't and, that special. <laughs> uh, <laughs> special was special because it it put me on the right path. Um, <laughs> nice. And I have some plans for getting NREPL integration with Farolero as well, so that way yep. the normal REPL in Emacs 
and whatever other application you have, um, will be able to use um, like the normal REPL flow whenever a debugger is currently active. Mm. Um, that debugger, by the way, is the other place that I've used refs um, because there's a very interesting problem that doesn't come up in common list mm -hmm. because of this lack of a standardization of threading. And that is, how do you handle it when multiple threads error at the same time? And yeah. uh, because there's only one standard out, there's only one standard in, you have to synchronize access to that resource to the programmer. But you have to do it in such a way that the programmer isn't stuck handling one error when others have occurred, because you should be able to say, I'm going to handle this error later. I'm going to go handle this other one first. Mm. And the ability to swap between them has led me to write a, a quite complex piece of code that's using like raw Java objects as locks. Uh, using the locking macro in in Closure Core, along with, mm -hmm. um, I think I'm using some standard queues in there, but I'm not entirely sure. And mm -hmm. I'm using refs in order to wrap them up. Um, so the whole thing is pretty complex. I'm happy that I don't have to to write it that many times because <laughs> it's just once and it's in there. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to write it a second time when I get the nREPL integration because I need to have an nREPL middleware that will yeah. do that. Um, but um, it was it was quite a hairy piece of code, um, but I I learned a lot working on it, and I'm very confident that it's working correctly now. Um, so that was that was a very interesting piece of code to write, though. Nice. I don't so, think I've, well, I've never seen any code with locking. Um, the locking macro. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's not usually found in the wild. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I have probably used it a lot more than than your average closure developer. That's fair. <laughs> um, uh, I I have a tendency to like I, I like closure and I like the performance guarantees that it makes, but sometimes they're just not good enough. Um, and so I, when I'm writing libraries especially, I never want to force my users into making performance decisions mm. based on the code that I've written. So as much as I can, if I'm writing a library, I make everything as performant as I can possibly manage while still providing the same interface. Yeah. Because that way I can prevent like I, I I hate the idea of forcing my users into into decisions, um, yeah. and so all of my libraries are 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 based around that that core idea. It's just mm. there's there's no decisions made for you, because um, mm. I found that that works really well with the closure ecosystem of like you get little libraries for everything, you get frameworks for almost nothing. Yeah. Um, work with coffee but i ended up doing some stuff in java and it's kind of awkward like you say with closure depths and i haven't i haven't got to that bit yet so maybe i'll just do use americano instead because uh, <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like it's a, a lot different flavor of coffee so you know yeah exactly uh, yeah it's cold it's, and black yeah. You're, yeah. you're you're taking your closure and you're watering it down with a little bit of coffee yeah <laughs> um, okay so <laughs> um 
or watering it but down. Yeah, back, but back to coffee, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coffee. So uh, coffee is a foreign function interface library built on top of Project Panama, which mm-hmm. was released in Incubator um, in a form that is like actually usable in Java 17. Um, in Java 16, they had a decent bit of it available, but the API was very different and not as usable. Hmm. Um, but as a result, uh, with Java 17 now, we have the ability to call into any C ABI native code um, that we want using uh, Coffee. I, mm-hmm. I want to note that Coffee isn't the only library available in this space. Um, there's other libraries built on top of JNA and JNI and a couple of other uh, technologies as well. And those libraries are good, but I like writing game engines. And in a game engine, you can't afford to spend a lot of time marshalling data back and forth. And you can't spend a lot of time in overhead from needing to dispatch via JNA. So I needed as much performance as I could squeeze out of it. Um, And so Coffee is built using Project Panama, which is the most performant way to access native code from the JVM. Mm-hmm. And it basically is just a a straight wrapper around the the functions uh, and classes that they provide, uh, along with convenience macros to allow you to easily define um, a a way to marshal closure data back and forth to native uh, to native, uh, and provide facilities to call um, whatever functions you want, even like with callbacks that are just written as closure code. Um, as if it was just closure functions. So, go on. So I was going to say maybe we should, because um, like a like a good uh, conference talk junkie, I watched all of the talks about Project Panama in the background. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, <laughs> I kind of like got all the different angles uh, from mm-hmm. uh, from the author, and uh, great great project actually. Uh, so maybe it would be worth having a quick chat around like what Project Panama is and what the goals were because. I think probably a lot of the audience doesn't know it because it's a, you know, we're kind of like for the majority of closureians, we're stuck on Java 8 or Java 11. And like Java, yeah. as Java changes underneath, you know, it's kind of like, eh, well, you know, do we need to, do we need to bother? And, and I think Project Panama actually gives us a reason if we're mm-hmm. interested in these use cases to really leap forward to Java 17 because um, it's a fucking huge deal in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think it did. Usually, I think uh, when when you're writing closure, you're only interested in JVM, but not the language or not the API that much anymore, right? Because that's sure, a, sure. Because you're just you know playing safe in the in the cushy area of closure world, and you know, well, okay, I'll upgrade whenever I want to upgrade. You know, you're already using closure, but this sounds a bit you know pretty interesting. So maybe, as Ray said, I think it'll be nice to explain what what Project Panama is and what it is going to bring. Yeah, so the entire idea behind Project Panama is that it is bringing um, easy access to uh, dynamically link against native libraries without the need to write native or Java code to do that. Hmm. Um, With the old JNI method, um, you had to write C code that would actually handle all of the the marshalling of the data between the JVM and whatever native library you're calling. So you had to write C code and Mm. you also had to write Java interfaces that would wrap all of that. Um, I think it was actually more than just interfaces too. Um, Mm. But 
there's also the the library JNA, which is available on the JVM, which allows you to do exactly what I just said about Project Panama, where you get to write wrappers uh, for native code that doesn't need you to write native code in order to link against it. But the hmm. problem with JNA is that it does symbol lookup and other forms of lookup in a very inefficient manner, redoing work a lot of the time. So the actual overhead of calling back and forth through JNA ends up being very high. Um, so one of the libraries that I use to benchmark coffee um, is GLFW, which is a library that's used for native windowing across platforms. Mm -hmm. But one of the functions that it provides just gets time since the library was initialized as a double. And that's a very simple piece of native code. It does very, very little work. Um, but if I were to call it with JNA, it takes around 300 nanoseconds versus with coffee, it takes about 30 to 40. Oh, wow. Um, so the difference is ridiculous when you're mm. calling a lot of native functions all the time. Mm. Mm. And yep. since one of my primary use cases for this is writing an OpenGL game engine, I'm going to be calling OpenGL functions all the time because I'm trying to render my game at 30 or 120 or 160 frames a second. Yeah. And every single frame, I'm going to be calling dozens or hundreds or even thousands of GL calls. So I can't afford to have that much overhead on every single call that I make to native land. Mm. Um, and so Panama allows us to bypass all of that overhead and all of the work of writing native code. So that's what Panama is, is promising, is it's promising a way for us to interface with native libraries in a way that doesn't require massive amounts of work and that mm -hmm. doesn't introduce massive amounts of overhead. Um, but, so um, I'm, I'm obviously I have, I have no fucking clue about all this stuff. So I'm going to ask the <laughs> dumbest question, you know, uh, as usual. <laughs> um, so you said that you can also write callbacks in Clojure that is yep. being called back. So if there is no marshalling and unmarshalling of the data, and then how are you consuming the data in the callback as a closure map or closure right. whatever data structure? It, it doesn't require marshalling, mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, Coffee provides ways to interact with mm -hmm. both native buffers that are just full of native memory. Yep. And if you're being called as a, as a callback, you're going to get either one of these native memory handles as an argument mm -hmm. or a primitive. And okay. those yeah. two cases. So if you're just like making a function to add two numbers together, everything's mm -hmm. primitives. Yeah. And even though Clojure does boxing, Coffee does work to unbox everything, um, mm, which okay. takes runtime code generation. By the way, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I, I do I do runtime bytecode generation using uh, Inson, um, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic Clojure library for for um, runtime bytecode generation, mm -hmm. and I use that in order to make sure that all of the types line up with what the JVM expects. Okay. Um, but you get handed handle the native memory and primitives. Um, mm. But coffee also provides convenience wrappers for everything that ends up being kind of the default way that you deal with things where mm. you can specify types using a syntax kind of similar to Mali. Mm -hmm. um, and 
the 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 data description that you give um or the, yeah the data type description that you give um tells coffee how to serialize and deserialize that from these memory handles okay. so you can write closure code that works with maps and yeah. use that as a callback that's supposed to take a struct mm. um and coffee will handle all of the marshalling that you need transparently okay. um okay. And there is a, I think it's worth saying there's a kind of DSL in Project Panama as well for mm -hmm. defining these native structs. Yes. So that's is. kind of like, I, I guess you're using that. I'm no? not using that actually. Using uh, it. Okay. it didn't, I didn't find it to be very useful um, okay. working with culture because the, one of the primary concepts with it is the idea of a var handle, um, which is basically a way to quickly access data inside of a struct by mm. basically like completing a path. So you say like it's in um, field A, which is an array, get index two, and then get field B on that. Like, and you'd fill in pieces there. You'd say like, okay, well it's A, some index B. And mm. then you'd fill in like the index that you're going to access. Like that's what the var handle idea is. Mm, yeah. And none of that is very like, congruent with the way that you access data enclosure um mm -hmm. so i decided to just kind of ditch all of that and instead allow you to use uh the functions that i provide which just allow you to easily access fields out of a piece of memory based on the type description the molly like type description that you give uh coffee so you just call a serialize or deserialize function and pass it the handle and the type descriptor, and it gives you back whatever data you need. Um, and so getting nested fields like that can be a little bit finicky if you want to be as performant as possible. But in the cases where you want to be as performant as possible, I'm perfectly comfortable with the concept of just handing the user one of these memory handles because it's an unwrapped Panama type and asking them to write the Panama code. Mm -hmm. to, to interact mm -hmm. with that because if they need that performance then they shouldn't be using my custom marshalling because it's using uh multi-methods which are fast but if you're trying to be so fast as to not unmarshal data you probably don't want to be using them anyway mm -hmm. um that said though i've put in a lot of work into the macros and the other stuff in order to make sure that if you write a function that doesn't need any of that multi-method dispatch that doesn't need any of the marshalling and unmarshalling coffee adds zero overhead. Um, mm. So there's no function call dispatch overhead for like anything in the library if you're not actually using any of it. Um, so if you have like something that only takes primitives and returns primitives, there's just nothing that happens at all except for a cast. If you're dealing with something that takes and returns these memory handles, it doesn't go through any of this dispatch at all. So okay. you're able to handle all of the underlying structures if you want, but it also provides facilities to make it so that calling native code is like calling closure code. And that's yeah. how I've wrapped libraries when I've using, been using coffee myself is to write um, code that results in what looks like a closure library, but is actually running native code. Hmm. So uh, obviously the, the game engines are one of the primary use cases where near zero cost interaction with the native code is required. So where yep. else do you think this is going to be useful? I mean, that means that you can use any native libraries, like any C code 
yeah can be used um, as we are coffee uh what I've been thinking about doing um, is for any kind of application that I write that has like some performance critical piece, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it a very easy, the existence of coffee makes it a very easy choice for me to then mm-hmm. go and write that performance critical, critical piece of code in Rust and then yeah. wrap it in Clojure and then never have to worry about ownership again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say as well that the Project Panama people, I mean, you know, and you have to wonder, like, what's the driver here? And the driver isn't games, actually, although obviously we're benefiting from that. Mm. The driver is talking to things like um, TensorFlow mm. because yep. they give you a C API. And yeah. that's the thing that they're really concerned about in the Java world is making Java talk, play nicely, sorry, not talk nicely, but play nicely with these kind of like low level mm-hmm. um, uh, ML frameworks. Uh, yeah. Or like the bullet physics for robotics or other things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, because there's... I think it, until until well, there is as you said with JNA native access and native interface. I mean, there is some sort of uh, interaction with the native stuff, but there has always been like either you completely write the whole shit in Java and then make it available as a library. There is never um, easy reusability of the existing code bases which are in C C plus plus or you know the native code available. Um, yeah. that, that's not possible so far. But I think the idea that you say is, is pretty interesting for me as well because I've been dabbling with Rust a little bit. And I think it makes sense that you can just fall back to, if that is the, if that is the expression, mm-hmm. that you can just switch to Rust and then build the whole thing, make it really fast, and then just use coffee as a low cost or almost no cost um, you know, FFI uh, yeah. into that one. Hmm. It's mm-hmm. super cool, actually. Nice. Yeah, and that means that you know you've got kind of all these low-level performance wins, but you've got a nice high-level expression language like Clojure. So exactly, and that's the same draw that like Python has in the mm. the ML world is that yes. it's a, a nice high-level language to interact with all the low-level C stuff, and you know, yeah. we just get to also do that in Clojure without needing to to use like lib python clj in order to call <laughs> python to call tensorflow or, you know, <laughs> yeah um Fun stuff. there there are there are other closure libraries that have kind of similar goals and and one of the good ones uh is um oh i had the name in my head just a second d-type ago. next i think yep d-type next for. that's yeah. that's it yep so that's also a very good library mm. um the the difference that I've noticed uh, between the library that I've written and a couple of the other ones is that um, my library is focused on usability from the closure side um, a little bit more than some of the other ones are. Not to say that they're difficult to use necessarily, um, but that there's more convenience features for users in, in coffee and that they're designed in such a way as to not introduce a lot of overhead. And mm. uh, my experience with D-Type Next is that it seems really good for like array programming, kind of in the same vein as like APL or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, where all of the array stuff stays in native memory and never never comes over into closure land. And you can do that stuff in coffee. It will be less convenient than in D-Type Next. Um, they're not necessarily incompatible as libraries, though. I believe that uh, at least on J- JDK 16, and probably soon JDK 17, they'll use Panama as the backend for uh, D-Type Next as well. Hmm. Um, which means that once D-Type Next gets updated to Java 17, its performance will probably be pretty similar to Coffee. Um, hmm. But again, the focus is a little bit different because D-Type Next is all about 
keeping like these big native or native memory slabs and operating on them from closure um, versus coffee, which is focused on either just providing you access to all the handles that Panama does or giving you access to call it like it's closure code. Um, yeah. And the, the other difference there is that uh, D-Type Next targets multiple Java versions, which means it targets multiple FFI backends. Yeah. Um, and that means it provides a different interface, which means they have a harder time providing Panama as like a, a key central feature. And Coffee, I, I think of Coffee being hosted on Panama kind of the same way that I think about Closure being hosted on Java. On JVM. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right, right, it's, yeah. it's not just an implementation detail. It's it's part of the core interface that's being provided. Nice. So before before we go into other, you know, less important things, so Emacs or some other shit, We've already done that one. Not for Lojban. We're not going to do two fucking bites at this one. Not, not for <laughs> Lojban. I'm, I'm talking about other stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have three different Emacs configs. One of them is entirely <laughs> custom. You win. <laughs> Moving on. We don't need been out Emacs to you. That's it. You win. <laughs> it's Emacs to the max. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's one of let's, them go one, let's, let, let, let's go through each of them one by one, line by oh line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Why three, oh, though? Uh, so one of them is for work. It's like my old SpaceMax config that I was working with for a while. It yeah. started to get too slow, so I'm working on a Doom config. Yeah. And that's what I'm using on my personal machine. And then yeah. the third one is like an experiment, me trying to figure out why the hell someone would do uh, literate programming. And it's <laughs> still unclear after having written a lot of code. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, I, I did try, obviously. I keep, on, and, uh, I keep on wanting to like literate programming. It's just yeah, very yeah, yeah. hard to like. I think we, I, I did try doing I think the whole notebook Max. world is all built on that, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. It's Come on. It's not a near. It's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I don't I mean, think I don't think people are using notebooks to do like literate programming. I mean, it's just like cells of code. Well, and, yeah, it's the idea is to make the like you describe yeah, yeah. the paper and do the do the programming in the middle yeah, of the yeah, paper. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there are some good examples of like literate yeah. programming. For example, there's the uh, physically based rendering book. Yes, is a yeah, book that's written different. entirely as a literal program. Yeah, but isn't like there a, isn't there a paper or something on closure code base uh, um, as yeah. literate programming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a long time. Uh, ago. Yeah, ferret oh. is a is a Lisp that's designed for embedded programming, and yeah. it's written in closure as a literate program. Yeah. Um, and so it's an interesting code base for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think but, that the main the main thing that I found with literal programming is that the, the code base, or maybe I've, I've been in uh, that that tells more about my coding skills rather than literal programming. But anyway, uh, I think co code is not linear, right? Because you it's it's very difficult to linearize the code because there are modules, there are mm, interdependencies, mm. and because literal programming assumes that you can read it like a book from from end to end, like a yeah. story. Yeah. Which, is, like which is yeah yeah exactly which is, I, which is not really I tried possible solving anymore. that in in my own I tried solving that in my own projects by not sticking to the there is one document yeah rule 
Yeah. And instead splitting up and having modules be their own books and Mm. even splitting it up to try and make things so that instead of it's like the whole program is one text that you read, it's like each piece of the program is one text. And then there's a final text that pulls everything together and basically is only cross references. Yeah. Even with that, I still couldn't really find it as something that was useful to my programming. And that Mm. might just be because I have like abused myself into reading code more clearly than I read English. Yeah, Uh, that that might just be (laughs) what it is. But (laughs) yeah, um, (laughs) you speak Lodgepan. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You're a difficult, uh, like, a bit of anecdote, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's, it never... I, I was intrigued by the idea, and I like the like it in, in, in theory, you know, being able to express that, you know, this is the idea, and this is how it looks like code, and then using art mode to tangle the code, you know, code into different files. And it's, 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 it's fun to think about as a theoretical experiment but i don't think uh, was it knuth yeah i think uh, it was from yep, him it was right Knuth's. so yeah and and i never felt like you know well maybe in closure it is still possible because um, you know um, you can just use declare and then you know make it make it linear more or less but rest of the code bases they're never linear they're always dependencies and and you just give up like oh fuck it you know <laughs> i'm not going to i'm going to spend like explaining you know lord of the rings level text to print a plus b like okay no way no, right. and <laughs> i think if you think about threading pipelines you know like the thread macro is a tricky one there was another conference talk about that actually about how you can put some macros around the thread macros to mm. make it more literate and more uh maybe mm. you remember that one joshua i don't remember i i do i, I know the um, talk but i can't remember the bloody author or the framework the other library now but uh i'll look that one up for the show that's <laughs> that's a call to our audience but please tweet at was, us wasn't wasn't that one also the talk that ended up introducing as arrow con whatever could have been several bang something mm. like that ridiculous thing possibly i don't want to i don't want to cast aspersions though <laughs> as thread aspersions <laughs> Anyway, yeah, but I, what I was going to say was that uh, that 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 is the problem with with like uh, yeah, that's programming. Thread oh, first, sorry. thread last, backwards question mark as arrow cond arrow bang is the name of the library. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I like that kind of names. You know, it just it, it's yeah. what you see is what you get, or what you read is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> so th- yeah, this is this is from a different talk. This is from every closure talk ever. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Which is a different the, the, one yeah. from the, the threading yeah, one you're talking about. Yeah, but okay, okay. yeah, I think I've seen the threading one as well. Uh, nice. My favorite like abstraction to throw in with threading macros, though, is just a when pred and if pred, where it takes mm. the value as the first argument, a predicate as the second argument, and then a third argument as a function to run if it returned true. Mm. And I've not found that in any of the utility libraries like mm. that I've that I've looked at whether it was like based on threading or not. And I don't know why I've never found it in one, but it, it it's very useful. I use it in my code all the time. Nice. C- can you say that again? I, I must have been uh, slightly yeah. screwed uh, for that one. Was so it, like- it takes, so when pred takes three arguments, 
first argument is the value because you're using it inside of a thread macro. Mm -hmm. The second argument is a predicate. And if it returns true, you call the third predicate on the value before pass before returning it. And if it returns false, then you just return the value without changing it. Mm, right, right. And then if pred is the same thing, except there's an else pred. Yeah, there's a branch. Yeah. Function. Okay. Yeah. But isn't it? Isn't it? Because yeah, that's like the only thing about like when when enclosure is always a bit odd to me is that by the else is actually nil. You know. Yeah, yeah. that that's true. Um, which makes it a little inconvenient inside of threading macros. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, what what else? Um, so, we talked about uh, the um, uh, well, coffee as well as the condition system, and then discard thing, and a small build uh, library as well. So, mm -hmm. I'm I'm really surprised how not surprised, but I'm really amazed by you know how much knowledge you accumulated within this time. And when I was 23, I, I was trying to figure out how to make a VB button do something. You know that, that's my uh, that's my achievement. You know, back in the day, so <laughs> I'm, mm -hmm. I'm I'm really you know amazed by how how many things that that you dug into and then how much knowledge you acquired and including you know all the way from C plus plus until comma uh, list thing. And, and I'm curious, you know, um, about your ideas of what sucks in closure because you wrote C plus plus and you're now providing a way to reach into the native world. Um, when would you say, well, this is not something that I would do in Clojure? Or when would you say, well, this is pretty shit in Clojure? You know, this is going to sound kind of funny considering the library that I just thought was talking about. <laughs> error handling. Error handling is awful in Clojure. Yeah. It is, it is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, there are good libraries that you can pull in to make it better. But mm. the fact that we don't have a default error handling strategy besides throwing exceptions, which... Maybe I have to make the argument that throwing exceptions is a terrible way to do error handling, hmm. but I, I think that that's the case, is that it's it's not a good way to do error handling. And so yeah. in Disclyord, um, this is the first like major public library that I made. I had no idea how to do error handling, and as a result, that code base does not throw an exception except mm -hmm. for an illegal argument exception when you try to start up the thread for the first time. That is the mm. only exception that occurs in the entire code base. The only other way that I interact with exceptions is trying to catch exceptions that are thrown by user code. Yeah. Um, there isn't really any other error mechanism inside of it. And mm. it's because error handling enclosure is terrible because you basically have either um, nil punning, which is yeah. okay if you want to like ignore some kind of data error, but it's terrible if you want to understand what's happening in your program. Mm. Um, Throwing an exception is is great and all for getting a log of like a stack trace if something actually went wrong, but I treat it like a panic in Rust. You throw yeah, an exception yeah. when you can't recover. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. all that's useful is a stack trace and you can't really get anything else. Mm -hmm. um, using errors as values with flow is really nice and it works well for data pipelines. Mm -hmm. But when you're not writing a data pipeline, which considering how many IO libraries I've talked about, yeah that I've written, like, <laughs> I'm not always doing data pipelines. Yeah. So I, I, I'm stuck with basically no, no good facility except for the one that I wrote. And yeah. even, even that one um, could be better. 
And part of the way that it could be better is if it was integrated into the into the language uh, itself, the core, the library ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the language yeah. itself, but like the library oh, yeah. ecosystem. If people were using it, it would be a more pleasant experience to use. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like a chicken and egg problem. Yeah, but this is um, this is this is. I, I think, think that's the, what ended up being the thing of Chris Hauser in the end. He was saying that you, 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 it's like putting it into the libraries, putting it into things. It's just impossible. So. Here's some ideas about how you can handle, you know, problems. Mm-hmm. But but so it is it, was, it, is it was kind of to... like almost a kind of uh, hands up in the air, kind of a well, you know. yeah, that that kind of error handling with just the the dynamic variables and providing that mm-hmm. as a part of yeah, your public interface yeah, yeah. is part of what I provide as a uh, instruction for library authors in the README of Farolero. Mm. Um, I give utilities for library authors in order to make things that can integrate with the, the ecosystem. Yeah. And I, I think it's mostly just that either the library isn't old enough yet or people haven't tried to use it, or maybe it sucks and I'm the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> um, no, we're getting a word out here, Joshua. <laughs> you know, so um, you expect a huge uptick in adoption next in the next month or two. You know. That would be pretty cool. 2022. It is, it is currently my most starred repository, so... We'll, oh, we'll that's see, good. We'll see how that goes. There's a bit of code, like there's a bit of pornography going on there. You know, everyone is kind of like <laughs> loving the idea of watching it, but not quite using it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but isn't it something like, you know, the the, um, the the philosophy of the language itself, right? I mean, in Rust, you're, you're, you're always using a result. You know, you're always like kind of, it, it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, idiomatic way of doing things. And then, Enclosure being a dynamic language, and and I, I don't think anybody cares about. I've seen so much of closure code where it only deals about happy path. Nobody cares about exception because it's not there. Obviously, it's not forcing mm-hmm. you, you know. And nobody thinks about yeah. oh, you know, like the conditions or restarts are because happy path is working. And fuck it, you know, I'm done. And then it's when people are using it, when it blows up, they know what to do, you know. Like that, that's that's it's more, you know. Yeah. The the garbage in garbage out philosophy. Yeah. Garbage in garbage out philosophy is is fine. I I actually don't mind it. Mm. Um that's how Discord works. I have everything internally specced, and if you turn on instrumentation, Mm -hmm. everything will be fine unless you fucked up somewhere putting something into one of the functions that wasn't supposed to be there, and then everything will blow up. Mm. And I don't have a problem with that. I consider that just the documentation is the specs. You can look at them. That tells you what you can put in there. Hmm. Um, and if you turn on instrumentation, you'll see what's going wrong. Yeah. I don't have a problem inherently with the garbage in, garbage out. What I have a problem with is when things that are errors that are part of the happy path, hmm. because those exist. There are happy yeah, yeah. path things that are errors. Yeah. And closure doesn't have a good way to handle those. Um, hmm. And because like everything from Honestly, even baked into the language is the what I feel about this because mm. exinfo is yeah. a terrible mechanism for signaling errors because of the fact that it requires every single person who catches one to check to see if it's actually the exinfo that they think it is. Mm. And if it is, then do something about it, otherwise rethrow it. And if they're not doing that, it's because they're not considering what happens when someone else's code is running inside that context. Mm. Um, and people don't think you're right. People don't think about errors that much, but I, yeah. I think that's just an un- unfortunate aspect of 
um, the escape from Java, honestly. Yeah. Because in Java, <laughs> we spend <laughs> like half if, of our code by lines of like code inside of a catch block. <laughs> yeah. Like exactly. everything is, is a catch block. Finally, Nobody... finally catch, finally catch, finally. Exactly. Because that's the other thing, you know. And and if people are escaping from Java, part of what they're escaping from is that. And yeah. I can appreciate that. And I I can appreciate that it is nice to only worry about the happy path. Um, but it it just leaves us in a situation where it's it's less than optimal when you have to actually, you know, handle an error. Yeah. Um yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, so um, I, I think uh, I think there was I think I think one one kind of like saving grace from from this though, and it's, it's not the perfect uh, retort, but the fact that um, Xinfo is now data is a lot better than like raw exceptions prior to one point nine. I think it was. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think there is progress being made there, but you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a yeah, still and, a, a lot of work to be done for sure. Uh, slingshot, uh, try plus, hmm, like yeah. there are libraries in that space that help out and they hmm. do help out and they're, they're good. Um, but I don't think that they really solve the core issue necessarily. Yeah. And I, I can't say that I necessarily know what the core issue is, the reason that I wrote Farolero in the first place was to see if having that facility would help me realize what the core issue is. Because um, as I experienced when I first heard about Clojure in AP Computer Science, all of the things that you can do in Clojure just seemed like weird things that someone else would want to do, but I have no reason to. Um, because <laughs> I was in the Java mindset. Yeah. And working with closure before working with Farolero, I have been in the nil punning and happy path mindset. And yeah, I yeah. figured mm. if I, if it, if error handling feels bad and I don't know what the core issue is, maybe if I try this thing that someone else thinks is a solution to the core, the core problem, maybe I can start to understand what I think the core problem actually is. Mm. And so I wrote Farolero so that I can try that. And in the last six months, I've gotten to use it. Um, both in production at work and um, on my personal projects. And I think now I'm at the point where I have enough experience using it um, that I'm pretty comfortable with the facilities that it provides. And I'm hoping that in the next like three or four years, I can actually finally figure out what the core problem is with error handling <laughs> and closure. And then maybe I can write a library after that. <laughs> that will that will actually solve the problem, but we'll see. <laughs> but I, I think well, it's good uh, to have uh, ambitions. Yeah, on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm. I think before before wow, we are almost um, you know one and a half hour, and and I think we can keep talking um, forever. But I'd like to mention just you know the the it's it's really the mindset. You know, problem, right? It's not as you said. Like we, we're used to so much in writing Happy Path enclosure, and and if you switch to a language where it, it it forces you to write. I mean, I write Rust with unwraps everywhere. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just gonna unwrap everything and then continue. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which which is obviously not you know the the, the way, but it, it's actually putting it front and center in front of me. Like I'm doing some shitty thing here instead of thinking. Yeah, and about you can grep for unwrap and see where <laughs> exactly the problems where, where, are. 
Yeah. You can't do that. He, to, he just grep dash V on rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you so, know that, you know, I think it's, it's more like a mindset thing, but, um, uh, which is something similar to writing test, right? I mean, the, the, the more time you spend thinking about the code and closure gives you this easy I'm way. I'm probably going to be unpopular to... if I start talking about tests. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but th- th- that, that is, th- that is the thing with, um, with, I mean, I've seen this in Python as well. I mean, all the libraries, they just do like one thing and then they're happy. Fuck it. No, no design, no errors thrown, nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. you never know what kind of shit is going to blow up and, you know, down the, down the lane, like a seven transitive dependencies lighter. So, which is something mm-hmm. worries me, but, um, you know, Hey, it's, it's been working for closure for 10 years more than 10 years, you know, so <laughs> maybe there is something and, uh, maybe people will pick up, uh, you know, uh, rethinking, um, to, to make code more robust in, in that sense. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the fact that it's been going so well for so long tells me that even if it is like a fundamental problem that we don't know how to handle layers, it, it clearly isn't getting in the way of us actually solving problems. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily a huge deal. It's just one that I think would be beneficial to, to everyone in the closure community. If we can. Totally. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a rough edge and it's okay it's to say that there are rough edges, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, and, yeah. and even if it wasn't a rough edge as such, you know, that innovations and improvements can always be welcomed, you know, yeah. like you say, especially in the user space where, you know, you're not asking for uh, for the core team to change anything, really. I mean, that, I yeah, guess that I, would be nice, def- you know, once you've kind of got down to the core bottom of it all and, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can sort of say, look, this is the fundamental challenge. Um, but on the other hand, like you say, if you're learning from from Common Lisp, then, you know, that that's already a great place to start. Yeah. Um, and it's a close until cousin, you so, want to you know. Until you want an immutable data structure to work with a library, it's a good start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, th- there, are, there are libraries that give you immutable data structures, but they don't work with the other libraries. So you have to write everything yourself. So yeah. uh, g- good, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Common Lisp is, is a good place to start. It's a good language, but the library... The library I just mean community... as a source of inspiration, you know, oh, yeah, you know yeah, rather yeah, than a fair. sort of... Uh, t- mm-hmm. uh, I'm not trying to advocate for Common Lisp as a language on the Closure <laughs> podcast that we, <laughs> we've been going for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we, nice. we came for immutability and we stayed for the error handling. <laughs> no, hang on. <laughs> Another way down. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I think, um, wow. Um, maybe it's, that's it. Before we, we wrap up, maybe um, since we um, already, uh, since I already asked you, like, what is wrong with closure? Well, not in that strong sense, but what do you that's like exactly about exactly how closure? you asked it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, sure. You know, at this at this point, I don't care anymore. I'm like, oh, you know, we we're too popular to be awkward anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so what do you like about Closure? And uh, did you try Closure Script as well, or mostly you're dabbling, in, you know, in 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 the Closure side, JVM side? Yeah. So, um, I I like the fact that Closure gets out of my way, and I can actually like think about my problem space. Hmm. I I have like done more whiteboarding with closure than I have with any other language because 
the whiteboarding that I do isn't a ULL diagram because I don't have to think about <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Um, I like not being stuck in that. So instead I get to actually think about, you know, the problem space. How do I connect the pieces together? How do mm. I decompose things into a set of reusable parts and then put them back together? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why I like closure. Um, and then what was the the second question? Closure script. Like, uh, did, did you try, oh, yeah. you know, closure, closure script or yeah. Other flavors yeah, of closure I've, as they say. Yeah. So I have used closure CLR, um, mm -hmm. on, the unity project godot, oh, yeah. no, not yeah. godot uh on on arcadia arcadia yeah, yeah arcadia mm. um i actually did like a game jam game with um ramsey nasser and yeah uh, that, that was pretty fun i did like an input system for one of the Ooh, games nice. that they did um there wasn't that much code but it was fun to get my get my feet wet in that i've tried um I've tried closure CLR for a couple of other things as well. And mm. I've used closure script. Um, Farolero works on closure script. Oh, nice. um, and, uh, cause it's, it's all CLJC and I had to do some shenanigans. Mm. The debugger doesn't work in closure script because there's no yeah. standard inner standard out, but, mm. um, the rest of it does. Mm. Uh, and there's ways to connect the debugger if you want to, I've used closure script for mobile development and I've mm -hmm. used it for some website development. I don't have anything that's like public with it now. I, yeah. I really liked using Expo um, for the mm -hmm. mobile development with it. Um, and last time I used it, um, even with Fig Wheel, like Fig Wheel Main and Shadow CLJS, it, it still could use a little bit of work on the reloadability uh, mm. aspect compared to JVM Closure. At least mm. that was my experience. Yeah. It's really good, um, but it could be better. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't use it for for anything significant now. Although I have been thinking about starting a blog to try and talk about the uh, implementation decisions and stuff in the libraries that I that I make and other stuff like that in order to try and mm. talk through those those thoughts. I, even like I'm working on a a compiler to compile closure code to GLSL in order to run closure on the G, on the the GPU. Okay. Um, and like that kind of thing would be something that would be useful to like have like a blog or something. And I've been thinking about yeah, writing yeah, that, that in closure script. I think it makes sense. I, mean, I like, haven't uh, gotten around to it just yet. I think it's, it's really nice to have that, uh, you know, written down on the internet because it's much more searchable, right? I mean, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. our podcast is the thing in the closure world, as you, as you <laughs> noticed already, you know, if you, if we did, if it, if, if we are not talking about it, then it doesn't exist. You know, that's the that's the level that, that we have. Um, but anyway, I expect plenty of calls from cheap imitations. But you know, <laughs> this is this is where this is where it all this is the main thing. Yeah. yeah. But but I I I think it'll be really nice to you know I know writing a blog you know telling other people writing a blog is pretty easy so I'm just gonna do that and you know but um mm. it, it, because all, all these things and we can only condense so much in in 90 minutes right so. There you can mm -hmm. point to the resources point, explain the, you know, your your thinking behind it because you have amazing ideas. You're working on really nice libraries and, uh, you know, uh, moving closer to the next generation, like bringing closer to J Java 17 and all that stuff. So I would really, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, urge you to <laughs> write, write the blog post, um, probably in English, not in Lojban. Um, yeah, English English is far more likely. Uh, the the <laughs> despite the fact that most Lojbanists are programmers, there still isn't that much vocabulary for talking about programming yet. 
Um, ah, okay. <laughs> I think the other thing to do, I think there's some people are doing, I mean, you, you can take this uh, any way you want, but I mean, you're, you're a great speaker and very fluid, um, you know, in English as well, by the looks of things. So, it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, I think people do things like on, on Twitch, Twitch or on yeah, YouTube, yeah. Uh, streaming, you know, and that could be something that you could do to kind of get, get, um, get the sort of um, the people who want to, want to, you know, uh, watch these videos on the side, you know, like, like us, you know, yeah. so you can <laughs> get, get a bit more content out that way. Um, mm -hmm. obviously the nice thing about things like podcasts is that you can kind of like, uh, listen to them on the go. Um, mm. and I think, you know, if you, if you, if you have a blog, then I guess you, people can read it on the go as well, um, mm -hmm. by, you know, text, text to speech type stuff. But, yeah. um, but you know, I think, yeah, it's worth considering other media strategies as well, because, um, TikTok. You know, definitely, I think the sort of the stuff that you're doing, having a kind of like interactive, you know, explanation of these things would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not on TikTok, but I, I would say, you know, just make a TikTok video, like why coffee then, you know, this and <laughs> <laughs> do a dance uh, while you're doing it. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm. Considering the average age uh, of closure developers, I'm more the exception than the rule. I, I don't think I'll get that much viewership. Um, That's true, but I think you know that this is the this is the beautiful part. Like you know, we are we are very happy to see that um, uh, people talking about. Oh, I started with Java Seven. I'm like, wow, that's. that's I know that's that's amazing to hear. You know, and and uh, it's amazing to see. Um, people like you who are so young and getting into this one and also, you know, uh, bringing so much of knowledge within such a short amount of time, which is, you know, really admirable. And I think you, you, you are probably inspiring way more TikTok generation than, you know, old age crappy people like me who never installed TikTok, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what the <laughs> fuck people do on that shit. But anyway, um, Jesus, <laughs> well, you know, but but th th that's the thing, right? This is this is the time because this is the uh, it's it, the ideas need to evolve. Idea needs to you know get into the next things. Otherwise, we are um, the the when just to conclude, uh, you know, when you said that people are not thinking that the you know error handling is a big deal because we are so used to our ways that that it, this has been something in the closure thing since we started talking about closure because I've been dabbling with closure for almost like maybe ten years now. Um, so the, the beginner experience has never been a thing because all the people who are getting into closure has always been like people who have written 20 years of code coming here. And then if I see a stack trace, yeah. I know exactly where to look because I've been conditioned like a Pavlov's dog to ignore all the CLJRT mm -hmm. shit now. And that means I can't see the problem. Yep. No, I'm too blind for this thing. I'm too old for this thing. Um, but that's yeah, but what he's you... been basically good through the ten years of Java himself, so it's kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. I had I had eight years Started of Java nine. Before. That's the problem, so you know he's kind of like old before his time. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had eight years of Java before I started with Closure. I was never puzzled by the, the stack traces. They they made sense to me. Um, of course, uh, that's I, that, that's probably seen... Lojban. You know, you shouldn't have learned yeah. that language. <laughs> oh, I learned Lojban like. Two years ago, in yeah, 2018, yeah. yeah, like October of 2018 is when I started. I oh. started on closure well before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but uh, in any case, I mean, I I, I love the you know uh, um, the, the the ideas that you're bringing in, and then um, closure is not this old ass people complaining and grumpy 
old folks sitting remotely somewhere <laughs> writing like helmets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It, well, the funny hip, thing is new. that actually the the sort of uh, the grumpy view of things is shouldn't we be handling errors better? You know, yeah, <laughs> it's nice feel... to have a young person basically <laughs> saying to all these old folks, "Hey, old folks, why aren't you handling errors better?" You know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna get scorched for this, but I remember you know one of the closure core teams saying that closure is optimized for correct programs, and I nearly spat my coffee out. You know, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, so yeah, that's that's intolerable. So you're absolutely right, Joshua. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. If, if we're if we're looking for proofs of of correctness, we should be looking at Idris, not closure. We're writing yeah. in closure because we want to get something done, not because we want to prove it's correct. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's done. It's not correct, but it is done. <laughs> well, I can't prove that it's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, it behaves like a correct program. Yeah, but I think we're going back to philosophy now because nothing can yeah. be provably correct. You know, but uh... well, I think that's kind of the entire point of Idris is that the the type the type system is a prover that proves that you're not accessing things out of bounds, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, you know, uh, that, uh, yeah. Okay. That, that proves certain, that proves a certain thing, but it doesn't prove, oh, yeah. it, doesn't it doesn't prove, prove correctness. Of it doesn't your prove that your pro. Or, yeah. It doesn't prove that your program is a correct implementation of the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, things like things like cock and uh, you know, uh, I think GPT five like might that. be the only way that we can do that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we look forward to the generate. library that you're going to build for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, GPT five prove prove your requirements are correct to the program. Maybe yes. Maybe maybe mm. I can write a library for that. Sure. <laughs> But but I agree uh, with VJ. I think it's really good to have like young people like yourself, you know, um, the under thirty crew. Question. Let's say yeah. you're well under thirty, you know, um, <laughs> to be like it's not just the next generation; it's the next generation below the next generation. You know, <laughs> um, you know, doing getting stuck into dynamic programming and closure, and also doing all the things that are awkward. You know, like the foreign function interfaces mm. and the the refs and the vars and all this kind of stuff, the error handling. No, you're doing the awkward stuff, which is really great. You know, you're not just kind of floating along and taking, yeah. you know, the advantages. You're actually saying, "Oh, there are some fun parts to this, to the edge of these environments, which aren't well, yeah. well explored." Yeah, you know? so I think it's really good. Time, yeah, pretty much every time that I've published something like publicly, it's been because I ran into a a, a, a very jagged edge of whatever whatever system I was working mm. in. Mm. Um, Fire Laro, Coffee, Disc Yard, all of those are examples of it was a jagged edge at the edge of closure. So I figured mm. maybe I can provide something to smooth it out a bit. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's well, everyone. Ever, no thinking. one over forty has ever heard of Discord, anyway. So you know. That's <laughs> well, they're trying to fix that now. They're trying to market to everybody. I don't know how well that's working, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not me. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> we have a we have a a, a deaf in Discord actually, but that's what <laughs> I heard. Refuses to go onto it. <laughs> I I do I do have the app. I joined. I mean, there are so many fucking chat apps now. I, I I'm kind of done with this uh, this thing anyway. Yep, there's there's a lot of them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, on that bombshell, <laughs> and and hey, Joshua, thank thanks again for for you know coming on and uh, talking about all these things. And uh, as Ray mentioned, you know, um, finding fun in in the things that are not 
that mainstream it's not yet another web application it another you know yet another web framework or some other thing but you are uh, you're doing awesome work and um, and and i love the way that you are thinking about the errors and conditional stuff i'm going to check them out as well um Definitely. because it, it it gave me some nice fuzzy feeling of common lisp again <laughs> a long time <laughs> ago uh so hey thanks again and um, yeah i think we, you should come back again when you're going to you know solve the core problem and uh, build the, build your next library <laughs> then we should have more uh, discussions soon and maybe about rust as well <laughs> yeah it'd be really cool thank you awesome all right thanks thank Joshua. you and uh, for the listeners if you know most probably this episode will be you'll be listening to this in the new year so we wish you a very happy new year it seems like we are reliving 2020 uh, which is a good yeah. thing. That means we are not aging another year. You know, we could just get stuck in one year, and then we're not getting older, <laughs> which is good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, 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 exactly. Twenty twenty one has been like foggy, but uh, you know, I hope everyone who is listening to this is uh, happy and healthy, and uh, happy holidays, um, and uh, we'll we'll keep uh, doing this fun stuff. That's it from us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Defan. And the awesome vegetarian music or the track is Melon Hamburger by Pizzeri. And the show's audio is mixed by Walter Dullert. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. Um, maybe you should insert your own name here, Dullert. Walter. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page. And you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray, with me, for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us, then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure in Slack or Closureverse, or on Zulip, or just at us at Defen Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode. Hello again, dear listeners. This is a small interruption on your way to enjoy other high-quality Closure podcasts with a reminder about the Discord experiment that I mentioned before the show started. In case you missed it, we're launching an experiment on Discord to have a call-in style follow-up to the episode. You'll be able to hop into the call as well as text uh, questions and responses. Our guest has kindly agreed to be part of the experiment and we'll add details into the show notes and you can follow mine or VJ's or the Defen Podcast Twitter account for more details. Thanks again for listening.